This show is sponsored by IdealWorkspace.com, which promotes a healthier way of working through their adjustable standing desk. Check out their latest smart adjustable standing desk at Altizen.com. A-L-T-I-Z-E-N.com. Welcome to Analyze Asia, the podcast dedicated to dissect the pulse of business, technology, and media in Asia. In this episode, I speak to John Russell from TechCrunch, who broke the story on Lazada's acquisition of Redmart in Singapore. We discuss the implications of the acquisition and how this will set up the narrative of Alibaba versus Amazon across Southeast Asia. Hi, John. Hi, Bernard. How are you doing? I'm good. Living in Singapore and a lot of big news happened, but I still managed to get you on call. So what yes. have you been up to? Yeah, a bit, just my usual thing, just running about tech stories in Asia. You've been breaking a lot of great news, right? Yeah, I know. I've had a good little patch. You know, sometimes you you get stories and other times you don't. So, um, but yeah, there have been a couple of interesting stories over the last few days, I would say. We are talking to John Russell, reporter at TechCrunch. It is actually not easy to get you on the show, so I really have to cherish this period of time to have this conversation. Before we get on to the main topic of the day, which is regarding Alibaba, Amazon, Redmart and Lazada, I wanted to talk a little bit about the news we have recently covered, some of the really interesting ones. I think the first one was the one you talk about, Didi did not invest in Grab's latest round because Uber is now an investor to Didi. Why did they not participate in the round if they want to expand overseas? Is it because of now Uber being an owner of Didi? I think there's a few different theories. And I think I read in Recode said that they didn't want to upset Uber. So because it was a grab around close just after they agreed to acquire Uber Uber China. So, it looked, I mean, you can see it in many different lights, I guess, as you like. But one theory is that they didn't want to offend Uber by backing a company that is competing with Uber head on in Southeast Asia. I mean, you can literally make up any theory that you like to fit the scenario, really. But I mean, I just think it's, I thought it was interesting because if you read sort of leaks that came out and this deal was rumored right after the Uber China acquisition, and everyone had said, you know, oh, this, this deal throws a, a real spanner in the works for the kind of anti-Uber companies because Didi, arguably the, the, the strongest company, arguably the, the, the leader of that group, had actually become an a shareholder in Uber and had acquired part of Uber's business, you know. So, so at the time, it seemed like a really big deal. The guy was going to be getting investment from Didi because it signaled that, you know, the anti-Uber union was still, you know, alive and good despite the Uber-China deal. There's definitely a complicated relationship there, I think, between all those companies. Yes, and actually before Uber actually let Didi acquire the yeah, China assets, there's already a lot of intrinsic investor relationships between all five companies, Uber, Didi, Ola, Grab, and Lyft. Moving forward, Didi has been giving a lot of mixed signals in the market. They claim that they're going to expand globally too. How is Didi going to expand globally if they can't win Southeast Asia or bother about India? If what the theory is suggesting that they do not want to invest in Grab because they are already offending Uber, then the same reasoning is going to happen in India. In fact, I think there was some news that claimed that Uber is now actually beating Ola in India. Yeah, I mean, uh, all of this stuff is really hard to tell because when you're looking at the reports and the research about which companies beating the other, I mean, a lot of these reports are based on, you know, it's very hard to get an accurate reading on, on who's actually top other than sort of just living in a city or living in a country and kind of seeing for yourself. So I think it's really tough. And yeah, I mean, how does DD expand overseas? I mean, this is the first time they've actually come forward and said that they actually want to be a company that is active outside of China. So this is the first time they've ever said that. But they haven't said 
what that actually means. So I guess you could assume they're leaving their options open and that if it suits them to buy another company because they're beating you know, Uber or their top in one market, then, then they might buy that company. And if it suits them to start their own, then they might do that. I mean, who knows really, right? It's very unclear at this point. But there was a report like a couple of months ago that said that Uber had started doing some testing in Vietnam, actually, which Didi had started to do testing in, in Vietnam. And Didi, like very quickly, like shut that down, saying it wasn't true. But I mean, it does kind of make you wonder if they were doing like a small kind of test. Who knows, really? Hard to say. Given Uber, Didi, Grab and Ola are intrinsically linked to each other now and they are yet at the same time being rivals and allies at the same time, I mean, how is this dynamic going to play out in the end? Is it just going to be massive acquisitions to everybody in order to make the investors happy or they will form a super four company, including Lyft as well? I forgot about them in the US. Yeah, I think if you look at it, I think Didi's keeping its options open. So they have equity and in you know all of the big companies that are that are rivaling Uber internationally, so they've kept they've helped keep them afloat, and they have you know a relationship with those companies. So if it turns out that that's the best option for them is to is to buy those to buy those guys and get a get a you know a full on rolling start in those markets, and then they then they can. And if they you know if they believe that the best way to do it is to start their own business and they can also do that too. So I think they just put themselves in a position where like they can take any any option that they that they'd want basically. And I heard that Grab is going to go into the mobile wallet business, which is a very competitive space across Southeast Asia as well. Yeah, well I mean in some ways that makes sense because you know you've got to look for I mean just competing on the on the basics is quite tough, right? Because there's not I mean that much difference really between you know and people might argue with me on this but there's not a massive amount of difference between taking uber and taking grab or whatever i mean sometimes in one city they're better but in general it's it's a similar experience so i guess they're trying to build something that's that really does position them in a very different way and having the kind of engagement with a user you know if you're using their app every day and not just for getting taxis and the chances are that you might actually open it to get a taxi that one time a week or that one time every th- every three days so i guess it's just kind of getting that level of engagement really so it's an interesting play i mean i think there's unlike india and china there's no clear you know leader in terms of mobile payments in southeast asia so it's going to be interesting to see uh, what happens with that play it came across when they talk about the mobile wallet which also means that why they didn't have a big announcement with stripe co-founder in the recent press conference they basically just say they are going to be partnering but they never specifically lay down the details meaning that yeah. grab has to build its own engine anyway why would you need strike if you if you want yeah to i mean i don't understand and i think that they'd be better like i think in india ola the uber rival in india actually spun out its payment service into into a standalone app which i think is more compelling than having to open the grab app every day and you know just to pay it to pay a bill somewhere i'm not sure that's the most compelling so i mean if it, if, if it was me I, I would think that having a standalone app would be the best way to do it but then again ola started off having their payment system inside their main app and then they spun it out so maybe grab's going to do that somewhere further down the, the line perhaps before i want to close off the conversation recently kaiser Kuo sure. was on my show and he made this point that actually uber has been the most successful u.s company in china because it has the best navigation through Baidu Maps. It has made very little mistakes, right? Yeah, and then he said that they, with Uber's unrestrained moral attitudes, 
and they still managed to clobber 30% and even with Baidu making money out yeah. of that investment, Uber losing 2 billion but made 7 billion in terms of the valuation. Mm. It made me wonder in Southeast Asia, which is a much more open market because the problem with Uber is that it's competing in a very close market. But in an open market, do you think Grab can even survive that? As I said earlier, I think it's so difficult to know. There's no data that is particularly accurate about who's winning what. And even in Southeast Asia, there's six different countries that they're fighting across. So there's six very different battlefields out there. But I definitely do think that it's a lot closer to a lot of media say. And I read lots of stories about how, you know, Grab is the local champion and it's Grab is kicking Uber's ass in Southeast Asia. I am, I'm not so sure that they are. I think it's a, it's a very close race in general. And I know that Uber's operationally profitable in a, in a couple of countries. And so, yeah, I, I, I definitely think Grab hasn't won yet. And, you know, if anything, it's more ominous now because Uber has has stopped bleeding so much money in China and the priorities for that capital are going to be India, South America and Southeast Asia. So I think it's definitely going to be going to see a lot more new services, a lot more focus on Southeast Asia from Uber. So it's going to be a very fascinating battle to watch in, in 2017, I think. So the other one I wanted to ask you was about Park Tall's US $32.5 million to push into social entertainment. So how did they raise the money? I mean, they are originally a Tinder app clone, but where are yeah, they Yeah, so it's a swipe either way dating app in the style of Tinder. It's about four years old. I mean, I'm not a dating social app specialist, but I did talk to the founders and they mentioned that they hit profitability over the summer and they had actually raised $10 million, which they hadn't touched. And so they decided that they could actually be ambitious and raise more. They raised, I think, another 30 plus million. And then they want to use that money to basically experiment and to look at what the future of kind of social entertainment is. And I think actually one of the quotes that I didn't put in my story, but was quite interesting, was the fact and Joseph told me, you know, in 12 months, we could be out of business because the market, the market moves so uh, quickly. So I think certainly from what they what they say, you know, they're, they're keen to explore new kind of areas. And that was the reason that they raised. And it's a large amount of, of money for Southeast Asia. Full disclosure, I'm an investor of a dating company called Lunch, actually. And Paktor did try to do offline dating, but they gave it up pretty quickly because they realized that the cost was actually too high. So the way they think about dating apps is that dating apps monetize on churn of the result, not in the dating app itself. Because when people use the dating app, once they get hitched, they don't use the dating app anymore. Yeah, that's the thing is you're gonna use you're gonna lose your user anyway. Either they find a partner and they go, or they don't find a partner and they go, right? So yeah. either way, it's a it's a it's a very short shelf life. But it's I interesting would, I would because the VCs don't seem to understand that. So when I was accompanying the, the founders to talk to the VCs, they seem to be thinking Paktor can actually monetize the user, but they don't even have a monetization strategy. So moving forward, I really don't know how they're gonna use that thirty two point five million. But if they can convince people to put money, what else can happen, right? <laughs> Right, right, yeah. I mean, I don't think, I mean, I never got a sort of concrete answer for what the exact plan is. So I guess we'll have to wait and see what happens. Interestingly, both Grab and Paktor's founders have very rich parents, so it's not really a problem. All money is at play. (laughs) No comment. Yep, anyway. Which comes to actually the main story why I got you here. Because we want to talk about the Lazada's acquisition of Redmart, which is via Alibaba because Lazada has been acquired by Alibaba. Full disclosure, I'm working for a company that is invested by Alibaba and also Amazon's entry into Singapore. I'm probably going to ask a lot more questions than talk about what I know. So you broke the story about the potential acquisition. So when I say that, Friday. I think that you probably know more than I do, given your, 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 you know, what you do. So, well, but anyway, do, anyway, do continue. <laughs> yes, getting back to this. So yes. how did you cover the story? Because I think this is interesting to many people 
when we try to get these breaking news, we have to do cross-references and checks and even sources as well. Yeah, so I guess I've been working reporting on tech in Asia for about five years. So I guess I've got to know a few people here and there. And once in a while, you know, somebody in your sort of network will tip you off about something that they've heard about. And then you just go from there. You just try to find people who you think might know to kind of piece together, first of all, to obviously vet a rumor. And you know, to make sure that at least, you know, more than one person who's heard of the rumor, if you're not quite sure about it, it does depend. I mean, everyone's a bit different. And yeah, and then once you establish that it's true, then you just try and, you know, talk to people and kind of build a picture of what, what's going on, really. In the course of getting this story, why do you break the story about the potential acquisition? And then a few days later, it confirmed that acquisition. Yeah, well, so without giving you the names of people who I spoke to, of course I mean, not. Yeah, we don't reduce sources. I respect your journalistic in- integrity. Like that. Don't worry about <laughs> well, that. Yeah. I, I wouldn't get any more tips if I started doing that. <laughs> no, well, you, you know, you just one person says this could be happening, another person says, yeah, I've heard, you know, that's happening, another person says, yeah, this is happening, and then you sort of try to get more information, like kind of prices and time frames and all this kind of thing. And you know, it's interesting because when you, I was digging for that, it turns out that Amazon was also involved. And you know, as a result of the Redmi acquisition story, I found out more about what Amazon's plans are in Southeast Asia. So sometimes when you start to dig, you know, other stuff that is related also also turns up. So yeah, I was lucky. Yeah. Well, just to help the audience, Redmart is basically a e-commerce site that focuses on FMCG products. And also they are very similar to, I think, probably Amazon in a way, but more with fresh groceries as well they also have a logistics part of their business so finally the finally the deal was confirmed at an undisclosed price yesterday what's the details of the deal because according to crunchbase redmond has raised a total of us 55 million from softbank garena far east ventures nsi golden gate ventures and eduardo severin yeah i think we put a range of what the exit might look like so maybe you can talk a little bit about that yes so what i understand is between 30 to 40 million us dollars is obviously is less than they've raised so it's not a fantastic exit for investors in terms of the financial outcome because obviously they're losing some money and from what i understand some of the bigger names who invested have also taken preferential options which means that you know they're more likely to get They'll, they'll get their, their money back first and then everybody else who has equity like staff, you know, other shareholders will have to scrap for the rest of it. So It's because of the liquidation preference clause in the earlier deals. Yeah, that's what I've, I've heard, yeah. I mean, that, that makes sense really because, yeah, that's the nature of these kind of deals, I guess. So yeah, an interesting part is, as I guess, is Amazon has been looking at Southeast Asia for some time, you know, just in the same way as Ali, Alibaba has. And they apparently did make an offer for Redmart at some point this year, but it was below the 30 million that I heard is a minimum that Uldazada is paying. So, yep. And then rather than go after that deal, Amazon's decided to invest its own money and build up its own its own presence in Southeast Asia. And uh, from what I understand, the company is looking to, uh, to launch in Singapore with some local services. It could be Amazon Prime and Amazon Fresh, the, the grocery delivery option in the first quarter of 2017. So which comes to my next question, because on the same day you broke that Amazon is coming to Singapore in Q1 2017, from what you have covered, Amazon has actually hired a head of ASEAN. It's actually somebody from their Amazon Europe by the name of Steven Scrive. And he has already been here for one and a half years. So I have a very interesting theory. One theory is that 
probably the news of Amazon coming to Singapore has already been known to most VCs, which actually led to Raymar having problems raising their money from the VCs. Could it be the same reason why Amazon has also low-bought Raymar in the deal? Yeah, it's also, I mean, it's obviously going to be possible. I mean, I'm not, I'm not privy to the exact nature of the conversations that these companies have been having. But yeah, that's absolutely a lot of investors that have invested in companies in Southeast Asia. And one of the ways of doing it is to get a company that is just perfect so that when one of the bigger international companies is looking at Southeast Asia, they have a perfect gateway in. Um, and I think Redmart was always going to be positioned like that so that when Amazon wanted to come into Southeast Asia, I think it was logical that they would at least you know, consider this acquisition. I, I think that's a perfectly reasonable you know, theory. And then I guess when Amazon had bid and was unsuccessful, then that sets off lots of alarm bells, right? Because, you know, oh gosh, they are actually coming. <laughs> so... In fact, one of the other potential acquirers, but of course they didn't come to Southeast Asia, is actually Walmart, which acquired Jet.com because the founders of Raymart is actually very close to the founders of Diapers.com yeah. and, and Jet.com yeah. as well. Yeah, and if you look at what Walmart's doing in other parts of Asia, you know, they, they actually, I think they withdrew from China this, this year. There have been rumors and reports of them being interested in investing in India. So obviously, they're looking at Asia in terms of their post-China plan for Asia. And, you know, it makes sense. India is the next priority, and then Southeast Asia would be one you know, region that they would also be, be looking at too. Are there any other theories? I mean, there were a lot of leaks about Raymond being Many acquired <laughs> before, before it even got out to when you talk about Lazada's acquisition, right? I mean, there is also Singapore's largest co-op retailer, which is NTUC, and they're very, very large. They own a, lot, a conglomerate of a lot of businesses from insurance to supermarkets. They also dropped out from the deal as well. Yep. So, I mean, Redmart did have an investment bank that was sounding out potential buyers on its behalf. So, I, I'd imagine that there are probably many names that we, we won't ever know about that you know, were certainly approached and had a level of conversation about, you know, buying the company. But I mean, as far as I know, the only two that were really ever having serious conversations were Amazon, as I mentioned at the start of the year, and then more, more recently, Lazada or Alibaba, I guess, is really the, the real driving force behind, behind that one. I think this is where I'm getting you to talk about what is going to be happening in 2017. Yeah. And that's that the e-commerce wars are actually heating up in Southeast Asia, right? Now, Alibaba's acquisition of Lazada and indirect through Lazada getting Raymart clearly set up the battleground for Southeast Asia with Amazon. What are the areas do you think that there will be interesting in the e-commerce space for the next year? Yeah, so I think there's definitely a battle to watch. And I mean, they're, they're so different. They're like chalk and cheese, really, Amazon and Alibaba. If you watch Alibaba's, you know, already made three major uh, acquisitions or three major deals in Southeast Asia, Red Mart, Lazada, and also this week, and Financial, it's, it's financial arm, I guess, made a major investment in one of the payments firms in Southeast Asia, Ascend. So, I mean, you can already see that they're sort of circling. They're taking, it's like a game of chess, right? They're taking early pawns, right? They're just kind of lining themselves up. And, you know, Amazon doesn't really do acquisitions very often. And so it's not a big surprise that they're not buying Redmart, I, I, I don't think. And yeah, you know, their approach is going to be to build their own, you know, their own presence from, from, the, from the ground up, whereas they've done in India. You know, they could have just acquired a company in India they could have, you know, invested in a company in India, but they actually decided to build, you know, that they were a competitor from the ground up. I guess that'd be the same thing in Southeast Asia. So it's going to be interesting to watch those two companies. And I mean, Singapore is the, the first market. It's a pretty small country, obviously, uh, 5 million people. Um, it's an interesting market because it's more sort of westernized than the others. But, I, you know, the, the real sort of 
sort of gains are when it goes to Indonesia, which is obviously far, far bigger, you know, and, and other markets in Southeast Asia. So, and I think that's probably some way off. I mean, I don't, I think, I mean, I don't actually have a, a time frame for when, you know, Amazon's going to hit Indonesia, but I'd imagine that once that starts, then you start to see some real close competition. So, yeah. Yeah, there's also an equivalent of Redmart called HelloFresh, which actually is in the emerging markets, for example, Philippines, Indonesia, and two other markets in Southeast Asia as well. Happy Fresh. Right? Happy yeah. Fresh, sorry. Yeah, that's, that's the name of the company. So yeah. do you also foresee that there might be an acquisition push as well? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> it's really hard to know. I mean, I don't think so. Um, oh, yeah, I mean, actually now looking at your Alibaba's focus has been like, what companies are, are, are running out of cash and how much can we buy them for, right, based on, on these on these two deals? I mean, they could expand Redmart to other other markets if they wanted to. They could potentially look at acquiring Happy Fresh. You know, I, I mean, at the moment, Redmart was struggling financially. Happy Fresh has just put out two markets, and they raised more money, but they didn't say exactly how much that they that they raised, which you know already makes you sort of question what's going on financially. Um, even though I'm a I'm a very big user of that service, so you know. For, it doesn't really make sense as a business yet. They're not, you know, they're they're, they're not really making any money in terms of the, the operationally as a businesses. So I'm not really sure why Alibaba would, would be so keen to expand so quickly. But yeah, I mean, it's definitely possible. I think that's what every every investor in Southeast Asia is wanting Alibaba and Amazon to get in to the region because obviously that that opens up opportunities for their for their portfolio companies. But I mean, <laughs> they're not just going to dole out cash free of charge. If they're going to buy something, it's going to have to be. You know, it's going to be someone who's who's top top quality, or perhaps in the case of Alibaba, someone who's burned up, who's burned up their sort of cash and is and is basically dead dead sort of broke at this point. Who knows? Indonesia is the. What price. do you think? Well, what do I think? I think it's going to be pretty interesting. There will be actually more verticals e-commerce will come up in yeah. this space. I think the aggregation model has its own limitations too, but my sense is that the indirect parts to e-commerce which is logistics and payments will become far more interesting in the next yeah. few years yeah which but i mean it's, it's definitely a good step though, to see you know these two of the biggest companies in tech you know looking at southeast asia is definitely a positive step so yeah mm. which, com- which comes to my next question indonesia is the price jewel for amazon and alibaba but like singapore they are local players such as ntuc for singapore and matahari mall in indonesia and matahari mall is very well financed so how would they battle it out with these local players in these countries then? Yeah, so I think if you look at what Amazon's done elsewhere in Asia and India in, in particular, you know, I think they've sunk like more than $4 billion into India. You know, as I say, they didn't acquire anybody. They didn't invest in anyone. They went there, you know, but by themselves. So I would imagine that that's going to be their, their kind of base plan for most for most markets that only if they're really in a position where they really like can't compete and they're really like locked out, then I guess that they might... You know, do M and A, but I mean, if you're looking at the the, the the total market in in Southeast Asia in general is is quite low, and there's sort of growth is forecast to to, to, to be sort of, I think it was eight or nine fold, right, uh, over the next ten years, the, the kind of online the online commerce spend per year. So I mean, if you're getting into the market now, you don't actually need to buy it, you know, someone because that market is going to grow so much over the next 10 years you can actually afford to sort of take your take your time so i'm not so sure that amazon's going to be looking to buy someone you know as it gets to, into southeast asia i think i think it's got there's a window to kind of see what see what's going on and see if they can build their their, their own sort of take on everything really i'm curious to see how amazon performed because from their track record with japan they have actually been giving rakuten a hard time 
and while they are in India, they are also giving Flipkart and Snapdeal with such a hard time where now every mm. investor is calling out these two companies, just go and merge yourself to fight Amazon India. Yeah. I mean, I think the issue is, like I say, like is Southeast Asia is at a way earlier stage than either of those two countries. So though the companies that are leading at this point, you know, their lead could actually erode very, very uh, qu- quickly. So I don't think, I think Amazon has less pressure in Southeast Asia. I would say you know, they, they can afford to play the, the sort of longer game. And as anyone who watches Amazon knows, you know, they're not immediately worried about making profit now. They're sort of looking five to 10 years into the, into the future. So I think that, you know, there's no pressure for them in, in, in Southeast Asia. They can just take their time, let everybody else sweat and, you know, and then see, you know, do we need to buy or not really. And for the local retailers, it's really a double-edged sword for them because for them, if they try to buy out one of these e-commerce players, they lose a lot of money. And if they build it themselves, they also lose money. So there's really no incentive for them to, to do that as well. It makes it very yeah. difficult for them. Yeah, that's true. And I mean, there's no guarantee that Amazon is going to be, you know, necessarily going to be successful in Southeast Asia either. I mean, anything could happen, really. It's mm. very early to say. But so that's why it's going to be interesting, you know, next year to watch these two companies slowly upping their game well, at times. I probably just asked the penultimate question. The e-commerce space is linked to the logistics space pretty closely. What does that mean for companies like Honestbee, Ninja Van, Gojek, and all these startups that are involved in logistics? Well, I think, you know, it's obviously great for them. I think, as I said earlier, you know, online is like 5% of retail across Southeast Asia as, as a whole. That varies across, you know, the various different countries. But, you know, there's a, there's a lot of growth p- potential there. So we're just kind of starting out on that journey. And I guess they will be um, holding on in there and hoping as the market grows, they have more they have more business that they can do. I mean, does Amazon make acquisitions in that space? I mean, that's the industry that, you know, you're in. So you're probably the the right person to answer that uh, question really but i think in general like you know it's it's a, it's a good sign that alibaba and uh, amazon are getting into southeast asia even if the exits that we've seen so far have kind of underwhelmed mm. which they have i think i can't say much on that uh, given that alibaba <laughs> is an investor of my company singpost and we just launched our largest logistics hub for southeast asia e-commerce logistics so I think this is a testament of that how much the e-commerce space is actually going to be interesting for everybody. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, John, it's always good to have you on the show. So well, It's I a al- pleasure. And definitely, um, I want to ask you the final question. How do my audience find you? Oh, on Twitter. John Russell at... Uh, sorry, at... John Russell, I should get that right, shouldn't I? On Twitter, mm. yeah, I'm pretty, I'm pretty active, so you can say, you can say hi. Yeah, and I think we just had a couple of Twitter conversations this afternoon as well. Indeed, indeed, yeah, yeah, always. You can find me at bleongcw or at bernardleong.com. Subscribe to us at Analyze Asia, A-N-A-L-Y-S-E Asia. You can find us on Stitcher, SoundCloud, Acast, and iTunes, and also Google Play in the US. And of course, drop me a comment and tweet. And if you are listening to the podcast in Overcast now, you can actually see the timestamp and markers. And actually, that will actually help you to listen to the parts that you are most interested in the podcast. Once again, John, thank you for coming on the show. Always a pleasure. Thanks for having me.